Yeah, my name's Tim. I'm another one of the elders here at Grace Church. Um, we are going to be starting a new preaching series this evening. Uh, yes, someone is excited. So either they didn't like the last one, no, anyway, um, called He Is, where what we're doing is we're going to take some time to go through a song that we find in the book of Colossians in the Bible that um, was quoted by the guy who wrote it, Paul, to the, the Christians um, he was writing to that uh, goes through lots and lots of things about Jesus. And so essentially what we're going to do is content the kind of the next seven weeks through the summer to look at Jesus uh, in, in some detail um, week by week, which when we were planning it, uh, the summer's a, a time in, in church life which normally it's quite good to kind of recharge and think about getting ready to go again in the autumn. Um, and looking at Jesus for an extended period of time seemed like a great way to do that. In the providence of God, with the news that you've just heard, which for some at least will be confusing, perhaps painful, it's also wonderful that we've got time week after week to look at Jesus and focus on him and remind ourselves what, what he's like. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the song to you that we're going to be looking at. So it's in Colossians chapter 1. Um, if you've got a Bible and want to turn there with me, I'm going to be reading from verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus we're talking about. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Uh, beautiful words. I'm going to be focusing particularly on, um, on the first sentence. He is the image of the invisible God. And... I guess what Paul's doing, he's writing to a, a group of Christians that he wants to, in a place called Colossae, which is the middle of Turkey, um, that he wants to tell them some things about how to live and correct some of the thinking he's heard that they've got. Now, we're not going to get into that bit of the letter, but what he starts off by doing is saying, before we get into that, you need to know what God is like. And he wants to correct the things that they've been thinking about who Jesus is. And what that, and the implications then that that might have for the questions they do have. And we, for all we might not have the same questions, we're, in that sense at least, we're the same. We also need to know what God is like. Now, I don't know about you, but for me at least, that's not, that's not a question that particularly exercises my thinking. I don't actually sit down very often and think, I wonder what God is like. And I imagine that most of us probably don't. We have lots of other questions that do exercise our thinking, which tend to be much more about kind of trying to make sense of our life, I suppose. Um, you know, why does this hurt? Why am I going through this particular thing that I'm finding really difficult? How can I find meaning in the things around me? How can I find meaning in my life? How can I find myself a purpose and do something with that? What 
what would good look like? How do I know what the right thing to do is? Uh, and then how do I actually go about doing that? Or maybe, or what on earth is next for me? How do I decide what the next thing to do is? D these are the sorts of questions that I find my mind sometimes taken up with, and I'm sure all of us, there are probably others as well, but all of us at times think, I guess, about these kind of questions. The thing is that actually the way we answer them depends on what we think God is like. And while we might not kind of think that out loud, or I suppose think that in the sides of our heads, um, what we think about God has a huge impact on how we then go about answering the questions that, that we are asking. So the kind of questions they're asking in Colossae are things like, how do I follow God? What has been a good boss look like? How do I have a good marriage? You know, fairly, perhaps fundamental stuff, I suppose. Um, but they, they went about trying to answer them by spending a lot of time looking at angels and stopping eating and being really, really disciplined about things. And Paul instead says, no, no, let's, let's back up a bit. Let's start off by seeing who Jesus is. Because it affects, like I said, it affects the way they would answer those. Maybe think about it this way. If you, for example, if you think that God is a hard taskmaster who wants you to behave in a particular way, if he's going to love you or be good to you or give you things, who, in order to approve of you, you have to achieve, you know, you have to perform, you have to hit a certain standard then naturally the way you might answer some of those questions about or, or where is meaning, how do I, or what might my purpose be, what does good look like, why does it hurt, is going to be different because instantly you're going to look at your performance. Maybe you feel that God, maybe you question whether he's good. Is he kind? Would he? Because you look at your life and you're not entirely sure based on the evidence that you can see at least. Maybe you wonder if he's a bit cruel because it feels like you keep having to, to jump through hoops just to get through the day. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, may, maybe, you, maybe you wonder even if he's accessible in the first place. We're very good in the style of worship we have. We often say things like, oh, we can all come to God when we're worshipping. But how often do we actually believe that? <laughs> and then live as though that's true, that actually I can go to him in whatever situation, or instead do we feel more like that isn't accessible for me, maybe for others, but not for me. And I suppose, kind of foundationally, does he love me at all? Or at least does he love me like he loves others? Or are there some, are there some conditions on it, perhaps? Does he look at me a little bit differently to other people? Now, at least for those of us who've been around church, we might know that all those things aren't the right answer. And so we might in our heads be able to say, that's not the right answer. But what we actually feel, what we actually kind of believe in our core, is what tends to then influence the way that we, that we behave, the things that we do, the way that we feel. And so when we've got the wrong idea about who God is, even when we know the right answers, that can cause us to get kind of messed up in our thinking and behave in ways and feel in ways that don't line up with who he is. There's lots of places we can, we can get those ideas from about who God's like, but Paul tells us, hey, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
So how do we know what God is like? Well, we look at Jesus. That's what we're going to spend the next seven weeks doing. We're going to go through in some detail. Let's look at what Jesus is like and help ourselves to answer that question. What is God like? Because we start by looking at Jesus. So it says that it says that he's the image of the invisible God, which on the face of it, I suppose, we'd assume means that he looks a bit like God, or we can kind of, we kind of see God in him, which isn't wrong. It's a bit stronger than that. It's like he's the image in the sense that I suppose he's the representative of God. Um, a little bit like, sometimes at work, I, I'm asked to go and represent my boss in a meeting. Um, and... She will, you know, kind of. She might tell me beforehand some of what she thinks, and then my job, if I'm doing it well at least, is to kind of go in and then uh, kind of sum up her opinion and represent her well, so that people know what she thinks in that setting. I must admit, I'm not very good at it. Um, I tend to just tell people what I think. Um, <laughs> so I've got opinions, uh, and I share them when I'm given the opportunity, at least. Um, it, but that's kind of a bit like a little bit like Jesus, except that. He doesn't, he doesn't so much share his own opinions as his opinions are exactly the same as the father's. Or a different way of thinking about it, maybe he's the image, uh, in the sense he's a bit like an ambassador. Which, uh, so ambassadors, uh, don't know lots about them. Um, people who go on behalf of one country to another country uh, to kind of represent them. So someone might go from the United Kingdom to France, say, um, and they would be the ambassador, so they would represent this kingdom in France. And if they want to know, the people who lead France want to know something about what the Britain thinks, they might call the ambassador, come with us Ferrero Rocher, and they would, they would find out. See, I wondered if that advert was too long ago, clearly. Um, <laughs> one or two people faintly remember it, anyway. Um, but it's someone who kind of, who shows, uh, who, who allows us to see what a particular country or kingdom thinks. So Jesus is a little bit like that. In, the, in Jesus, we find out what the, what the kingdom of God thinks. And he comes and he represents the kingdom of God to, to the earth, to humanity, to us as a people. So he comes on the Father's behalf. Um, Chris started the meeting by reading from John chapter 1. If you drop down a little bit further than where he was reading, it says, No one has ever seen God. Which if I'm saying we really need to know what God is like is a problem. Because if it really affects us who we think God is and no one's seeing God, well, how do, we, how do we put that together? How do we find out who God is? So it says, no one has seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So no one who has ever seen God, but the only God who's at the Father's side, that's Jesus, he has made him known. So no one's ever seen the Father, but we see him in Jesus. So he is the representative or the ambassador of the Father to us. We find out what he's like by looking at Jesus. Which is also, I guess, important to know that he's not a representative like, like I am for my boss, as in not a very good one. Um, he is, according to Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The exact imprint of his nature. So he's not a little bit like God. He's not even a lot like God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. So he is a really, really good 
image of God. Because we look at Jesus and we find out exactly what God is like. I suppose like a, like a mirror that reflects the character and the life of the Father and also reflects his own relationship with the Father so that we get a little bit of an in on what it can be like for us as we look at him and look at the way in the accounts that we have of the way he prayed to the Father and look at what that relationship looked like, we have a, a sense that maybe that could be true for us as well. So we need to know what God is like. And we can find out by looking at Jesus. So what's Jesus like? Because that's obviously the next question. What, what is Jesus like? Well, let's, let's start with... Um, with the passage we're looking at for the next seven weeks, I'm just going to steal everyone else's thunder. But he is, so he's the image of the invisible God. In fact, can we flip the words back up, David, if you can find them? That'd be really helpful, I'm sure, for people. Um, he is the image of the invisible God. So he's the one who represents God to us. The firstborn of all creation. So the one who is, uh, kind of gets the rights of a firstborn. So exalted over everyone else gets the inheritance. Um, he's the one who all things are created by his hand. All things that we can find, heaven, earth, visible, invisible, etc., 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 etc. All things are created through him and for him. So not only is he the one who creates and the one who the Father and the Spirit create through, but he's also the one that they create for so everything that we see exists because together, Father, Son, and Spirit thought, you know what would be really fun? How about we create something to make Jesus look amazing? And then they did. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he is the, sort of, uh, the most important being in the universe, and all things hold together in him. So the universe continues to exist. The planet spins and my heart beats because every moment he continues to will that it is so. And if he stopped, it wouldn't. Um, and he is the head of the body, the church, which is such an encouragement to us, especially in a, a time like the one we're in right now. It's his church. He leads it. He's the one who decides where we go. And we are his body. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So he is the one who rose from death to life so that we know that we will rise like him and that he kind of ushers in a new age of new life where death is beaten. That in everything he might be preeminent. So he's number one. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So he's the one you find everything of God in him. You don't have to go anywhere else. He's kind of the one-stop shop for everything you could possibly need in your life. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Uh, so he is deciding to reconcile all people who are alienated from him, but also actually the whole cosmos, all of nature, the earth, all the stars, everything that has been messed up, reconcile it again to himself, remake it in his image, making peace by the blood of his cross. So all that through what he did on the cross. So how to sum that up? Uh, Jesus is supreme. He is, he, is, <laughs> he is the emperor of the cosmos. He's the one who rules over all things. He's sat down on this throne. He's, the reign of his kingdom is extending. And there's nothing that he's seen or ever will see over which he does not have ultimate power, but also actually the ability to exercise that power, the interest to exercise that power, and the right to do so. He's supreme. And... 
He's the image of the... Oh, it's gone. He's the... If we flick it back over. He's the image of God. So he's the one who represents God. Which means that he's the one who... The Trinity together, chatting some point in the midst of time, said, you know what would be fun? You know all those people who hate us? Or at best are indifferent to us, who don't follow us because of the way that they've chosen to rebel and turn against us. You know what would be fun? How about I give everything up? How about I give up my glory and my honour because, yeah, I'm, I'm the supreme being in the universe, but how about I, I just put it all down for a bit and go and live with them and be like them and be among them and teach them and be spat on by them and then choose to stand in their place while we together pour out all of our anger on what they've done on me instead. <laughs> Wouldn't it be fun? But actually, that's what the Bible says. It says, for the joy set before him, which... It's a little bit like, wouldn't it be fun? Uh, that's, that is the way that God thinks. He says, you know what, why don't I come to you? So when we see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, it means he's the God who came. So not only is God supreme in the sense that he rules over everything, but actually he's also the one who comes to us. So he's supreme and with me, which is, I find those two things quite hard to hold together. I don't know if you do, but the idea that there is nothing that is outside of the reach of his arm. He can make everything happen by the power of his will, and yet he is literally with me and wants to be with me and alongside me. This is the Jesus who we read in, in the Gospels, the accounts of his life, who, when his friend died, went and sat with his friend's sisters and cried because he was sad because his friend had died. The Jesus who, when I'm sad, comes and sits with me and weeps. Oh, and then he called his friend to come out of the tomb and he walked out. But that's always the way around I found that he is. He comes and he sits with me and he weeps. And then he says, how about we go do something? He's the Jesus who, when confronted with a woman who was caught in adultery and as far as we can read, it's John chapter 8, as far as we can read, bang to rights, manages to spear the rest of the crowds so that they all leave. And then, just looking at her, has completely the right to condemn her for what she's done, but says, go and sin no more. So the Jesus who stands for truth, who says that is wrong and you need to stop it, but yet doesn't condemn her despite the fact that's an offence against him as well as other things. The Jesus who bears our burdens, who says, how about I take all that? I'm going to give you a different burden to carry, but it's a lot lighter. I'll take all this off you. The Jesus who is wise and knows the right answer. The Jesus who is good and so has our best interests at heart. The Jesus who is powerful. You know, the storms stop when he speaks to them. And so he's wise and he's good and he's powerful, so he knows what the right thing is, he has my best at heart, and he can do it. <laughs> it's quite a good combination. <laughs> he's... <laughs> he's, the, he's the God who came. He's the one who continues to come. He's the one who... I have never found an encounter with Jesus where actually I'm the one who goes to him. feels like it sometimes. 
But it never is when you have time to reflect. Even when we worship, we think, oh, we're going to come to God. And we're right. That's what it feels like. What's actually happening is Jesus is saying, I'm going to come to you. And then fill your heart with joy so that you want to worship me. That's how it started. We get rescued in the first place by him when he says, you know what? I love you. He comes to us individually like he came to the earth in the first place. In fact, every encounter I have with him is dictated by the fact he chooses to come to me. He's the image of God, the one who comes. And he comes and he comes and he keeps coming. It's what we call grace, this idea that God gives. And he gives and he gives and he gives. His disposition is one of gift. He is always the God who comes and he gives. (laughs) So he's supreme and he's with me. And he's the God who comes. He's the one who we, when we look at him... We see beauty beyond any beauty we could find elsewhere. All beauty reflects him, but yet he is the most beautiful being that there ever could be. He's the one who, who actually, if I were to stand in the presence of the Father rightly, I should be burned up. That's, that's what I would deserve. He is completely good and true and full of love. And for me to be there because I'm not like that, should actually destroy me. And like the angels that he's made to attend him have to cover their faces when they look at him. And instead Jesus says, why don't you come with me? And then we come in together and we stand in front of the Father, me and my big brother, and we, well, that's what the Bible says he is. We're, he's, you know, he's the eldest son. We, and then we see the Father together. And I find that I'm not burned up because I'm covered by him. Instead, I'm set on fire. He's the one who, he loves me. If you know him, he loves you. In fact, that's, that's why he came. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He came because he loves us. He came for joy. He came because he wanted to get us. He... I have found that I cannot plumb the depths of the love of God. I keep thinking I have. But I go back and I look again, and it's deeper and wider than I can imagine. I found that I can't really comprehend and understand his character. Every time I look at him, I find it fascinates me all the more because it is so much more complicated and glorious and beautiful than I had previously understood. It will take an eternity to even begin to grasp it, which is convenient, because that's what I've got. Uh, and we'll spend, as I understand it, forever ruling with him, trying to kind of get my head around him. I'm not going to get there, but it's going to be really fun. <laughs> and every day, I imagine it'll be like, oh my word, I thought I understood you. Wow. And then the next day, the same thing, because he is so infinitely glorious, so infinitely beautiful, so infinitely worth knowing, supreme and with me, the God who comes. <laughs> wow. So, when I feel like, like, like it hurts, like I, I can't find meaning, like I'm wondering where the good is, like I don't know what to do next, when I want purpose and I don't know where it is, when I want freedom and I don't know where it is, well, he's the God who comes. He's the one who turns up. He's the one who says, how about you just listen to me for a minute and look at me? 
And we find in him, actually, that there is, there is hope and joy and a future and an answer and dreams and peace and rest. When I feel like God is a hard taskmaster, well, he's not, because he's the God who comes. He demands nothing of me. He says, I'm just going to turn up and then change you by being with you. So clearly my kind of pursuit of performance is not the right way to go because he's not that kind of God. He's one who comes to me. When I feel like he isn't kind or good, I look at the one who's the image of God and see that he's come to me when he didn't have to and chosen to lavish on me receipt of his kingdom and lavish on me his family and welcome me in in ways that he had no need to, but he chose to. He clearly is good and kind. When I wonder if he's accessible, well, I don't have to access him. He comes to me. But it means that when I want to go to him, what I find every time is that he has first taken a step towards me. So he must be accessible because he's the God who comes to us. When I wonder if he loves me, he's the God who comes. So we need to know who God is because it changes how we think and how we feel and how we behave. And we find out who he is by looking at Jesus. But who's Jesus? Uh, <laughs> Jesus is pretty good. He's, he's the God who comes to us again and again and again. So that we can know him. What we're going to do now is that the band are going to come and we are going to look to him because he's great and we're going to worship him and sing to the God who has come to us, sing to the one who is kind to us, sing to the one who is good to us, sing to the, the image of the invisible God, the one who makes him known because he's great and worth worshipping. Should we stand together? Let's sing to him.